to the average fan, last year's Seahawks season sort of made sense. For I guess for four reasons. Uh, number one, Russell Wilson gets hurt in week one and three. That kind of derails a lot of their progress. Number two, the offensive line goes to crap, for lack of a better word. For the, the running back, they're, they're planning to replace Marshawn Lynch with Thomas Rawls and C.J. Procise. Both of those guys get hurt. And then number four, Earl Thomas gets hurt, and their whole defense goes to shreds. To the average fan, that explains the season, why they kind of dropped off. And then you come out with this article that goes into their internal issues, which the details and the, the information in there was fascinating. But to you, what really stood out in that story? Um, well, first, thanks for having me on. And um, I think that the thing that interested me from the beginning and the entire point of the story was to try to explain why this star defensive back, a Hall of Famer in his prime, um, you know, an iconic player in that city was on the trading block and why the team was so open about shipping him or being open to shipping him. And I, I found that really fascinating. And, you know, there was nobody, you know, I remember seeing a couple things where people thought that maybe, you know, I was like a chosen reporter that people chose to plant information with or something and like you know i'm i've been doing this for a long time i would never be used like that i um i was working alone and it was my idea and it was um you know a lot of it, it was a it was a long process of you know a lot of phone calls and meetings over weeks and you know asking people four or five times to meet with me and then calling them back four or five times after the fact to make sure that i had what they said accurate and um that was the point of the story was just to try to explain the dynamic of why Richard Sherman was ever on the trading block. Yeah, it makes sense. And going in, a lot of people had a, probably you as a writer had a perception of Sherman or a perception of the Seahawks. They're a very polarizing team. Did your perception of them change after you did all the research and the phone calls or did more or less line up? No, I liked them all. You know, I loved Richard Sherman as a player and as a voice for a long time. Um, I love Pete Carroll's coaching style. I love the way that Russell Wilson plays. I had nothing against the Seahawks. And I think that, <laughs> no, I wasn't. yeah, the thing that, um, you know, I grew up in Alaska, so all we got were Seahawks games growing up. So I, you know, I, I remember the Dave Craig days and, um, you know, I think that uh, the thing that I think that surprised me in the course of reporting was just, you know, the culture there. And I think that, we knew about it, obviously, but I think that like learning about the sort of way that they allow their players to, you know, be themselves and sort of, you, you know, the the positives and the and the at times consequences of that, I think is the thing that I found the most interesting. You know, I talked to players who were there and have left, and they were, you know, when when they signed with Seattle as a free agent, they were always surprised about how you know, ruthless that locker room can be at times. Yeah. And I think that to me surprised me the most. I mean, you, you know, the example of course is like you go back to the night before the Super Bowl that they played Denver and there was that fist fight between receivers and, you know, the Seahawks considered a sign of team unity that news of the fight didn't get out. Not that the fight took place, but the news of it didn't get out. And I found that really interesting. Yeah. We're with Seth Wickersham at VSB on the magazine right now and talking about, kind of the article and 
I guess some fans would think this is old news, but people keep reacting to the story. Sherman was on ESPN with Josina Anderson this week and Russell Wilson's comment to a local reporter about kind of his relationship with Richard Sherman and kind of how it's, I think the word they used was professional. How have you responded to some of the response you've got? I know Michael Bennett came out and kind of tried to deny the story and some of the players have tried to come out and change their, maybe change the narrative that came out. How would you respond to that? Well, it's okay. I mean, they're allowed to respond as they want. And, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and I've worked on stories that, you know, were trending towards controversial. And, you know, I, I know how this goes. Like I know how, you know, a lot of players that I talk to would come out and deny things and that's okay. Like I get it because that's sort of, you know, the team dynamic that, that, that you have to have in the NFL. And, you know, I would never, I, you know, I, I, I don't like to speak to sources anonymously as a first resort, but sometimes you have to because there's a code of silence in the NFL. And, yeah. you know, even on a team like Seattle where guys are, you know, allowed to speak their mind about issues and it's very different than, you know, their peers in Boston. Um, Definitely. You know, you're talking about some incredibly – touchy situations that, you know, needed to, you know, they could only speak honestly about if their um, anonymity was guaranteed. And, you know, I don't just take one person's word for it. I, you know, took a couple trips out to Seattle and I had a lot of phone calls and, you know, I fact checked and cross checked and, you know, Sherman knew all the entire time what I was working on. And, you know, I, I that was my reporting process on the story. And it was something that I took very seriously. And so I'm comfortable with what I wrote and I wouldn't have written it otherwise. And, you, you know, there's a lot of people on the team who um, have reached out to me since then, you, you know, with encouraging text messages and reassurance that what I got was right. Even people who wouldn't talk to me for the story have actually reached out to me um, since the story came out. Okay, that's pretty fascinating because I remember when the, some of like the backlash from Bennett came out. I remember I think you tweeted that you had, had a lot of reassurances from people around the organization. So is that more players or people in the front office, or is that something you're comfortable talking about? Oh, I would never, uh, you, you know, name names or even hint at it. But I appreciate the question. But it was a, it was a response that I got that was. Um, universal really i mean there really wasn't like a person who reached out to me who was who i worked with on the story who was said no 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 well you mischaracterized what i said or sure. this wasn't you didn't nail it there wasn't anybody like that i was you, you know like i said the process of putting a story like that together i mean i'm driving people crazy uh you know calling them and touching base again and trying to make sure that um you, you know what i have represents what they said yeah and the amazing thing about that story, I found not only just the details you had in there, it was just you could send that story to six different people and six different people would have completely different takes on that. And that says a lot about kind of depth that was in that story. And I, don't, I was on the Twitter the other day and I noticed a colleague of yours and the ESPN writer from Arizona described Seattle as the definition of dysfunction. And I think that <laughs> came out of that story. And would you agree with that characterization? And if not, how would you describe this group? No, I mean, that's how they function, though. Like, I think that, like, when you, you, you know, there's people in, 
New England or with other teams that are kind of more, you know, they want to control their players more that I think that they would see that as a dysfunctional situation. And that was something I was very careful about in the story is trying to not judge it. You know, I think that I, I, I weighed in in certain moments of the, of the story, but I really tried to explain that, you know, living on the edge is how they're built to live. And that's how Pete coaches them. And there's a theory behind it, even when it blows up like it did towards the end of last season when Richard kind of went off the rails and, you know, was openly defiant of play calling and coaches and openly defiant of Pete Carroll's suggestion that he was going to be contrite for doing so. And so, you know, I tried to, again, I go back to the culture question and, you you know, Seattle's got a, a, an incredibly unique culture and it's reflective of Pete Carroll as a head coach. And remember when he came back to the NFL, the thing he said was that, you know, everybody asked, what have you learned since you were with the jets or with the Patriots? And since your last trip in the NFL, and he said, I learned to coach in my own, within my own personality. And sure. you know, this is a reflection of how he coaches and how he has, um, you know, built an entire philosophy that's been incredibly successful. Yeah, one of the obviously Sherman was a dominant character in the story, but the reaction that for me that really got me was kind of how the team views Russell and how they've responded to him since the Super Bowl. And last year was a very unique year for Russell. He had those two injuries right away, and he was going through some crazy treatments to go through the season. And did his perception change at all in the locker room? Did you get a sense of that, or was it more still a reflection of this is the buttoned up guy who kind of doesn't really give you a bit of his personality? Kind of is more of a fan of the management than one of the players and does that change at all or is it more or less the same as how he's regarded well you know i think that it's different for each guy you know and obviously yeah. like you, you know the issues with russell i think that a lot of players find him and you know disconnected from the rest of the team yeah. but i think that like at the end of the day and i really try and and you know let's face it a lot of this stuff is pretty petty and, you know, it's about his personality and it's about, you know, there's one player who like, you know, Russell gives every player tickets on Alaska Airlines as a present. And, you know, there's one player who's like, oh, you know, big deal. He he has an endorsement with them. And, you know, so I tried to sort of show that a lot of this stuff isn't necessarily rational. I think that like the biggest okay. deal is that, you know, you have a historically great defense that thought they would have multiple Super Bowls by now. And I think it's really difficult for a lot of the players on defense to hold themselves to that standard. And, you know, the offense, I think they scored 13 or fewer points in five games last year. And that's that's a sizable percentage. Injuries, you know, everything going on, that's a lot. And I think that since Russell Wilson's been the starting quarterback, I think that only three out of the last of the five years, they've been in the top 10 in scoring offense. And that's difficult, especially when, you know, that defense was put together in such a unique way. And I, I, again, I tried to show that in the article too, is that a lot of this is that like they had this brotherhood and they thought that they were going to go down listed with the steel curtain and the 85 bears and all these other great defenses. And they still might, but you know, to have that, that destiny and that dynasty thwarted at the one yard line is really difficult. And I think that it frustrates a lot of players when the offense barely scores and, you know, Russell sort of speaks in these platitudes about how they made a lot of great plays and they just need to get better when, you know, he did that after they played the Rams 
and they scored three points in that game. And I think that's really frustrating, especially when they feel like that Russell isn't held to the same standard that they are. And so, yeah, I can't help but wonder now, like, how do you move forward from this? And if, say Russell comes out and he's had trouble with Green Bay in the past, and that's their opening game. If he comes out and puts up a stinker in the first game, is this something that you can see resurfacing? Or is this something that, like, how do, how do you move forward from something like this? I think privately it will. I don't think it, it may not play out publicly. I think that, like, you know, people ask, like, what's going to be this the impact of this story? I mean, <laughs> Pete Carroll's been coaching for 43 years. I mean, he's been yeah. through a lot of stories. I don't think he cared about this thing at all. Um, and I think that he handled it very well. I mean, he didn't undermine the story in any way, shape, or form. You know, he called no. it old news. And he tried to explain his culture, and that's okay. And I don't blame him for doing that one bit. And, you know, I think that after that, they move on. You know, it's a that's one of the amazing things about the NFL is that, like, you know, each day you're presented with things to do and you have to do them no matter what's going on outside the field. Now, I think that if the offense struggles again this year, I think that privately, of course, it's going to be the same old story with a lot of the defensive players and some of the offensive players. Um, But, you know, will it spill out publicly? I mean, I, you you know, I, I tend to think that like that probably won't unless it gets really, really bad. Sure. And you mentioned Pete Carroll before, and he's such a polarizing figure among football fans. People who don't really know his backstory have pretty strong opinions on him running up and down the sidelines and kind of how he handles his players. And kind of at the end of the story, there was kind of like a Carroll did it again, happy ending kind of feel. So kind of what's your perception of him and what do you expect from him from this group that kind of still has some similar questions where they don't have a great offensive line and there still looks like a defensive heavy team that they're going to win with trying to run the ball. Like how, how do you, how do you view him going forward and kind of what, what do you see Richard coming out of the season? Because he's nearing the end of his contract and they looked at trading him. So what do you see in this future? Yeah. So, you, you know, when, when the story came out, G Scott, the local radio host, you know, who's a great radio host and friends with a lot of players, you know, he talked to a bunch of people and he said, look, this story, nobody disputes the story. But the thing they were saying was that, like, it isn't us now. And that's what yeah, I was trying okay. to get at with that part of the story, you know, and, and even the ending of the story was that, you know, this is a family, you know, no matter how dysfunctional it may or may not be or look from the outside, this is a family. And, you, you know, Pete, I think, lives in the moment. And I think he felt like that since Richard had came had come back and their offseason program had started, you know, he was everybody was acting like nothing happened and he was you know, going hard in practice. And he was encouraging the guys who might be there to replace him one day, or at least replace other people in that secondary one day. And, you know, that was his focus. And so that's why I I made a point of giving that a lot of breathing room because, you know, it was showing that, you know, it's spring now and, you know, these guys are trying to move on and we'll just see what happens. Like, you know, it's easy to do that, (laughs) you know, in spring and it's easy to do that in training camp and, you know, that's, you know, every player will tell you the same thing. And then, you know, but once the season starts, you know, it's interesting to see the emotional fragility of a team and how it rises and falls. And, you know, that's what Pete is so good at is letting these guys sort of, you know, be themselves and getting them to be convinced that if they can be themselves and and their best self, that, you know, the team will kind of become its best self. And so, um, 
you know, where do I see this team going? It's, it's a really difficult question. Um, but, you know, that is a historic defense, and there is no question that the window for that group of guys, as they were constructed, is, is shrinking. You know, their, their drafts say it all. And, um, you know, so that's going to be the most interesting thing for me this season is because I do think that there is that sense of urgency from this team. And you're right. There are a lot of the same questions that there were last year. Yeah. And I've read books on like kind of how the Cowboys were in the nineties and all the kind of the craziness of their culture. How, how rare is a culture like this in the NFL from all the years you've covered it? Or is this kind of just a boys will be boys kind of thing? Or is Pete's culture that unique compared to the rest of the teams you've covered or been around? I think it's pretty unique. I think that those teams that are close to it, like Denver, for instance, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think that that's a, a team that not only from the way that it's constructed, but from a personality standpoint, you know, they kind of don't sweat these little personal disagreements or, or blow ups that much. But, um, you know, look, Pete is a fantastically successful coach, both in college and in the pros. And he's, you know, two decisions having gone differently from probably being in the college football hall of fame and the pro football hall of fame. And of of course he's got a unique system because, you know, it's him, it's his system and it's survived, you know, coaches coming and going and um, players coming and going. And what I think is so unique though about Seattle is just the way that defense was put together. And, you know, the fact that so many of them were, you know, draftees or free agent signings that weren't that, you know, they were, they were overlooked. And the fact that these guys all became so good, almost so fast, I think is so fascinating. And that's what made, again, that loss to the Patriots harder, I think, to get over. And, you know, those losses stick with people. And when I was on TV talking about this story, I was on NFL Live and Teddy Bruschi was next to me. And as he was talking about the Patriots lost to the Giants in the 2007 Super Bowl that cost them an undefeated season. I mean, you know, his face changed and you could see sort of the pain of that loss coming back. And, you know, that's what makes these guys such great athletes is how they take so many of these things um, and are able to, you know, internalize them and play as if something greater than their self-worth is at stake. And so that's why I think that, um, you know, for these group, for this group of guys that pride themselves on not just being a great defense, but being a historically great defense, if not the best ever, that's one of the reasons why I think this stuff is so hard to move past. And there was a lot of guys dealing with injuries at that time too. Sherman had the, the mm-hmm. arm, Cam Chancellor was hurt. Uh, he's playing through, a, I think an MCL sprain and Earl had a bad shoulder. So I understand, like, I understand how deep that burn to go through what they threw and come up one yard short. And they lost play players. Yeah, and they lost yeah. players during the game. Yeah, Cliff Averill and Jeremy Lane. And mm-hmm. Another part of the story that I don't – he wasn't really mentioned big in the story, and I've always kind of been fascinated by his role, is John Schneider. He's the jam, GM. And did you get, kind of get a sense for his role in the organization and how he kind of fits into all this, or were you more focused on the player side? Well, you know, he's – in charge of their personnel. I'm not sure that Pete is that interested in, you know, the, the personnel side of it. I think that like, obviously when it comes to draft day, he's very engaged, but you know, that's, you know, John Schneider, he comes from that great green Bay background and, 
you know, that's his baby. And, you know, he's one of the guys that found, you know, you know, him and Scott McLuhan and a lot of the other, you know, people that they've had that have been kind of raided since then, you know, they were the ones who put the nucleus of this team together. And so I think that I, I don't know what John, you know, what his focus is during the season, other than trying to help these guys win. I think that like once the season starts, I think that, you know, this is a, the, the players and the coaches more than anybody, they're the ones who sort of like are the focal point and they're the ones who try to deal with these issues as they come up. I don't, I don't know. I honestly don't know like what his role was with all of this Richard Sherman stuff other than, sure. you know, he was like Pete out there commenting about, you know, the fact that, um, you know, Richard, you, you know, they were open to talks about him with teams. Yeah. It was so unique and it was so rare. And yeah, I, I think that, that covered everything pretty well. And thanks Seth for coming on. That was incredible. And <laughs> hopefully your story isn't the dominant co point of conversation all season, but with that team, you never know, you never know what's going to happen. So again, I appreciate no, you coming no. on. That was great stuff. Great insight. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. All right. Have a good one. All right, man. You too.